The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. You lay the foundations of the heavens. You establish the earth. You spread the heavens like a curtain. You know the number of the stars and you call them by their names. Yet you are mindful of us. We thank you for your presence in this place, my Father. We thank you for your presence in this place. We give you praise and glory, Lord. In every life presence, Lord, do that which eyes have not seen, that which ears have not heard, that which has not even begun to enter into the hearts of men, and let the name of Jesus be glorified. Honor and glory we give unto you. Honor and glory we give unto you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Okay, today we are in part two of our series, Me or Jesus. Me or Jesus. And last week we laid a foundation for um, this series. Today we'll begin to um, delve into more detail about the series. Our text remains Luke chapter 10 from verse 25 to 28. Luke chapter 10, 25 to to, to 28. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to in inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses, there was a law of Moses. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28. Right. Jesus told him, Do this and you will live. You know, it's interesting that when Jesus was asked about eternal life that Jesus pointed this scholar to the law of Moses. If the law were irrelevant, it cannot deliver eternal life. And that is where a lot of Christians get it all mixed up because they just say, oh, the law, <laughs> oh, we are not under the law. We are, under the grace, we are under grace, absolutely, and that is correct. But when the word of God says the law, what, you need to understand the context, otherwise you will misinterpret it. When the word of God says the law, it could mean one of at least seven things. When the word of God says the law, it could mean the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the, the, the book of the law. When, when the word of God also says the law, it could mean only the book of Deuteronomy. The law, 
depending on the context, could mean the whole of the Old Testament. Also, depending on the context, it could mean the Old Testament apart from the prophets and the poetic books. The law could also mean the ceremonial law. That is the Levitical law. The law of cleansing. You bring turtle doves. You bring um, goats. You bring that. You, you, you lay your hands on this and that. That's the law. That's the ceremonial law. The law. When you hear the law, the Bible could also be talking about the civil law. The civil law of the nation of Israel. And that is the law that governs how the civility of the nation, how people operate. If you, if you steal somebody's... Um, cow, this is what you do. If you sleep with somebody else's daughter, you have to pay the bride price. Then the father will determine whether he still wants to give her to you. You know, all those things are civil law. So when you hear the law, what is the Bible talking about? And number seven, when you hear the law, it could mean, apart from it being the first five books of the Bible, apart from it being Deuteronomy, or the whole of the Old Testament, or the Old Testament, apart from prophets and the poetic book or the ceremonial law or the civil law, it could mean the moral law or what we call the Ten Commandments. So when Jesus said to this man, what does the law of Moses say? Moses gave all these laws, all these laws I've listed are well, apart from the whole of Old Testament, Moses didn't give that, but most of these laws, Moses gave those laws. The ceremonial law, the civil law, the moral law, the first five books, the Deuteronomy was written by Moses. So what was Jesus talking about? Definitely the civil law is not going to give anybody eternal life. The ceremonial law is not going to give anybody eternal life, obviously. So what was Jesus talking about when he says the law of Moses? The man's answer solves that riddle. The man says, the law says, you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that is the law. That is a summary of the law. Jesus was referring to the Ten Commandments. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, the summary of the Ten Commandments is love God and love people. Love God and love people. And, and the way the Word of God is, there is the letter of the Word. And the letter of the Word we always kill. So that's why the Bible says the letter kill it. But the Spirit gives life. But there's the Spirit of the law. There's the letter of the law. It will always deliver death. But there's the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is love. The spirit of the law is what? It's love. In love, there's, against it, there's no law. So it says, you will love the Lord your God. So the, the, the summary of the Ten Commandments is love God and love people. So when people say Ten Commandments is irrelevant, and I'm like, Really? That's not true. 
When people say, oh, you don't, we don't have to obey the law. We are under the grace. Let me tell you something. They just need a license for committing fornication and adultery. End of story. Check every one of them. Their personal life, check. They just need a license. How come they don't go outside and kill someone and say they are under the law? And say they are not under the law. Go and kill someone and say, I'm not under the law, I'm under, the, I'm under grace. What will happen? We don't try it. We just need a license for sin. So we, we, we banter grace as though grace is, <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I believe, I mean, Jesus would say, ah, guys, that's not what I came to that for. So Jesus pointed us back to Moses. When the church began, capital letter C church, when the church began in, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, the challenge of the early Christians was legalism. The challenge of the early church was legalism. Legalism because they were coming from a Judaic culture. So they were highly legalistic. Circumcision was a big issue. They wanted to circumcise every Christian. You know? And they struggled with legalism. That is one extreme. The other extreme, which is the challenge of, for us, I mean, at this time, at this age, is not mostly legalism. I know there's some traces of legalism in the church. Thou shalt not wear lipstick. They say that red is the, is the color of the devil. You, have you guys not, you've not heard that before? Oh, you've not been in church for a while. They say that if a woman sits on a seat and she gets up, a man cannot sit on that seat for at least 45 minutes. Otherwise, it will be defiled. I kid you not. Those were laws of, of the church. Highly legalistic. I know there are churches today that will fight whether some people should wear trousers or not. I understand that there are still traces of legalism in the church. But the biggest challenge to the current day church and the future church will not be legalism. The biggest challenge for the church will be what is called antinomianism. An antinomian, nomian is the Greek word for, for the law. So an antinomian, an, an antinomian is a lawless person. Antinomianism is the concept of grace that says you can sin all you like. In fact, the more you sin, the more the grace. <laughs> Have you heard that before? It's called the ES movement, the eternal salvation movement. Once saved, forever saved. Go and do anything you want, but they will not commit murder. Because they don't want to go to jail. And God is saying to you and I, Erin lies the struggle. Erin lies the struggle of every race. Erin lies the struggle of every human being. Love God, love people. Erin also lies the fulfillment, 
Erin also lies eternal life. Erin also lies what you seek. Love God and love and love people. And concerning the Ten Commandments, it was so, so crucial. If you look at um, Deuteronomy 10, verse 4, this is Moses speaking. He says, once again, the Lord wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets. Who wrote the Ten Commandments? And gave them to me. They were the same words. Everybody say the same words. They were the same words the Lord had spoken to you from the heart of the fire on the day you were assembled at the foot of the mountain. So Moses was saying, in Sinai, when you were assembled together, God spoke these same ten words to you. These same ten commandments. When I went up on the mountain, God carved stones by himself. God used his own hands to write it. You know, there are many times God wants to talk to people, even Moses, other prophets. God will say, take your pen and write. Habakkuk, write. Isaiah, write. Jeremiah, write. But when it came to the Ten Commandments, who wrote himself? He wrote it himself. With his hands. Then Moses got down from the mountain and he saw the people I mean, committing idolatry. They were idolatrous. They were worshipping a golden calf. Moses smashed the Ten Commandments written by God. So God says to Moses, by yourself now, carve the stone. Make an ark. Put the stone in the ark. Carry it on your head. Come alone. Don't bring Joshua. Come on the mountain. Now, I've explained this I mean, the previous services. When they were on the mountain the first time, it was Moses and Joshua. Right? Who do you think carried those two stones down? To be Joshua now. Uh-uh. Oga and uh, who will carry the, it's the boy now. So, Joshua carried the stone down. I can imagine Joshua's terror when Moses smashed that stone. Joshua was like, oh God. But guess what? If Joshua had said, don't come and ask me to carry this thing next time, what would have happened to Joshua? That's how it works. But guess what? God said to Moses, come up alone. What does that mean? Don't bring Joshua. What does that mean? You are going to carry this thing yourself. Which is easier? To carry it down the hill or up the hill? (laughs) Which is easier? So which is more difficult? Imagine all the work Moses had to do. You know, God... That's a different story entirely. Those are to deal with, you know, <laughs> his people. Anyway, so Moses got on the mountaintop. Guess what? God did not say right. God still wrote it again with his hands. 
And that is so big because, you know, when we come to God, when we come to Jesus, and you embrace Christ, what happens to you is that God writes the law in your heart with his hands. So following Jesus becomes easy. So he's not writing it on tables of stones anymore. He's writing it on tables of flesh. Nobody needs to tell you because the law is written in your, in your heart. So when we take a close look at the Ten Commandments, the summary is love God and love people. 60% was for one side 40% one for the other side. God on one side, people on the other side. Who do you think had 60%? Who do you think had 40%? I many people say God has 60%. I many people say God has 40%. Okay. If I counted it myself, the Ten Commandments, one, two, three, four. This has to do with God. One, two, three, four, five, six has to do with people. There were more that had to do with people that had to do with God. So what's the significance of that? God is saying to you and I that if you cannot love the people you can see, how can you love the God you cannot see? If you cannot love the people around you, the people you are doing life with, like I said last week, Sunday, last weekend, you cannot love the person you are living with you are sleeping with on the same bed. How can you love God you cannot see? You cannot love the man you are staying in the same house with, or the woman you are staying in the same house with. How can you love the God that you cannot see? And that's the challenge before us. Praise the name of the Lord. So, examining the 12, sorry, the 10 commandments, every one of these commandments introduces a struggle, exposes a battle in us that everybody must wrestle with. And that battle is me or Jesus. Every one of those Ten Commandments. It's an eternal struggle of man. And like I said, when you come to Christ, the law is written in your heart. It becomes possible for you to obey. But this battle are real. The first commandment is, you shall have no other God apart from me. That is the battle with God. The second commandment, you shall not make idols and worship them. That is the battle with worship. The third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is the battle with religion. Number four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, the battle with time. Number five, honor your father and your mother so that it can be well with you, the battle with authority. Number six, you shall not murder, the battle with peace. The first murderer lost his peace. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. That's the battle with purity. Everybody has to battle it and has to overcome it. Praise the name of the Lord. 
Number seven. Number eight. Number eight, you shall not steal. That's the battle with what? Integrity. Everybody will face that battle, but you will pass it in Jesus' name. <laughs> Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's the battle with, with truth. And number 10, you shall not covet. That's the battle with contentment. So today we are going to look at the battle with God. Now from next week we are going to be having multiple of them that we're going to be unpacking by the grace of God. The battle with God, Exodus 20, verse 3. You must not have any other God but me. When we begin to flirt with other ideas and, and, and other gods, quote and unquote, then we begin to open our hearts to things that God has not put in us. We begin to open our hearts to the enemy. I mean, it's a classic example. A lady says, says, true life story, says to God, God, you know, I've been asking you for a husband. Now, you know, I've been a good girl. I've been a good girl all these years. Now, I've been asking you for a husband. You have not given me. I want, just want you to know that I'm going to wait for this year for you to perform. If after this year, you don't bring my husband, I cannot guarantee what will happen next. So, I mean, so my mind, I'm like, so God will be, God will be afraid. Oh, I'm scared. I'm about to lose my deity. Oh, he'll be shaking. I mean, she says, ah, God, me, I cannot guarantee. Oh, I just want you to know that. At least you two, you know, I have tried. When we begin to flirt with ideas that the enemy wants us to flirt with, we open our hearts for compromise. We begin to flirt with things, and you're looking at things. It's not your own. You're saying, mm -hmm. I, if I take this, nobody will know. You are beginning to ask for trouble. And unfortunately, sometimes when the living God doesn't fit with where people want to go, they find themselves desperately looking for other gods they can mold to their lifestyle. So people want to create God in their own image. To suit their own lifestyle. And I kid you not, I've had people say to me, show me, in essence, in the Bible, why I cannot get a second wife. That's what I want you to show me. Is it written, thou shalt not marry another wife? You just say, if you should have a daughter, commit adultery. Did you say, thou shalt not have a second wife? Let me marry two, three, so that I will not commit adultery. <laughs> Even if you are four. Doesn't leave the, as they say. That means that you will see what you want to do. Even if you have seven. Ask Solomon. He had 300. It was not enough. He still had 700 concubines. I mean, it is never enough. And I've had people, when I show them the principle of marriage, and, and, and the sanctity of marriage. I've had people that have actually gone to create their own theology and have gone ahead to marry another wife. 
Why? Because the, the God of the Bible that you're showing them does not fit the image they want to live. So they need to create a God, an ideology that will suit their lifestyle. Praise the name of the Lord. And that's the confusion of the world. So we see even the, uh, the first human beings on earth, Adam and Eve, their first battle is the battle with God. It's not the battle with Satan. It's the battle with God. Satan was only able to lure Eve by suggesting that God was too restrictive. Exodus 3, 1 to 5. Satan just showed, told him, you know, he just flirted with the idea, you know, God is too restrictive. Did God really say you cannot touch it? You know, you know, you can't touch it. Ah, look at everybody. Look at all these people. Everybody is doing it. I mean, you can't touch it. Nothing will happen. Meanwhile, it's the same devil that we stand and accuse and say, God, see, she has touched it. So anytime you question God's intention, you open a door for Satan to come in. The first commandment has no room for ifs, for buts, or for when. The first commandment has no room for uh, you. if God does this, then. When someone says, oh, pastor, let God give me a child. Then God will know, ah, that he has a daughter on earth. That's why I said, let God know now that he has a daughter. Let him know now. Don't put any condition. Don't say, if, if God, God has to do it by this time, when? You can't put when. You can't put but. Is it that God or he isn't? And there are things that are primed to take control of our hearts and to be God. But you see, the truth is that when anything or anybody gains controlling position of your life, anything or anybody gains controlling position of your life, the first commandment is broken. Anything or anybody. We've talked about the obvious examples. But there's the not so obvious examples like worry, like anxiety, like despair. You just want to worry and worry and worry. And before you know it, worry has taken control of your life. Then worry becomes your God. You see, as little as that is, that is breaking the first commandment. God says be anxious for nothing. He says, Pastor, how can you be anxious for nothing? That's what the Bible says. That's what God says. Are you going to, be, obey, God? Are you going to obey God or not? That is the question. God says be anxious for nothing. So what is it going to be? Are you going to be anxious or are you going to not be anxious. Spoken to a lady long, long time ago. I mean, she was very worried and all that. So we went through the scriptures, you know, and I encouraged her, and she could see from scriptures, and she was fired up, and I could see that, you know, light in her eyes that she has gotten it, you know, and she got up from my office excited, and she was on the way out of my office, and she stopped, and she looked at me and says, but pastor, if, if I'm not worrying, what will I be doing? In other words, this is my pet. You've just taken my pet away from me. <laughs> you know? It's like a teddy bear. You've just taken it away from me. I said, well, be worshipping. Why? Because you cannot worry and worship. And you cannot worship and worry. 
They don't mix. Try it. So God is saying, what will it be? What will it be? You see, the beauty of the first commandment is that it delivers you and I from the dominating grip of forces that are stronger than us. And it's totally liberating. So when trouble comes, you can say, I will not bow because I bow to only one God, the true and the living God. When depression comes, you say, I will not bow because I bow to the true and living God. You see, there are some families that are plagued with demons. Do you know that? From, I mean, it's, it just goes, most families in this part of the world, honestly, except you run to Jesus. But you see, when you submit to God, what happens is that when it wants to land on your own family, you can say, no way. I bow to only one God, and his name is Jesus. Then you can break the back. That is the beauty. The first commandment lays the foundation for freedom. For our freedom. So our challenge is simple. Will we embrace God unconditionally? That's our challenge. Are we going to embrace God with conditions? Or are we going to embrace God unconditionally? What is it going to be? Please ask your neighbor, what is it going to be? With conditions or unconditionally? You know, it's a question everybody has to answer. Is it going to be anxiety or is it going to be God? What will rule my life? Is it going to be worry or is it going to be God? What will rule my life? For some people, it's their spouse. Is it going to be my husband that is my God or is it going to be God? For some people, it's their wife. Is it going to be my wife or is it going to be God? For some people, it's their mother. Is it going to be mommy that is my God or is it going to be God? For some people, it's their dad. Is it going to be daddy that is God or is it going to be God? What is it going to be? For some people, it is gold. Is it going to be gold or is it going to be God? And it's a question that your best friend cannot answer for you. It's a question, no matter how much your husband loves you, he cannot answer it for you. You have to answer this question yourself. What is it going to be? What is it going to be? When we look at Moses and Moses' experience with God, there's a lot to learn from Moses since Jesus pointed us to Moses. In Exodus 3, verse 13, when God showed up to Moses, God had said to Moses, go and deliver my people from Egypt. In verse 13, but Moses protested and said, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me 
to you. And like I shared in the previous services, that is a very interesting question. Imagine you went to meet God. Tell me your name so I can tell the people. And God says, I am. I am what? I am. I sent me. I, that's what I want to know. I am what? You are what? What is your name? Don't say, I am. I said, I am who I am. And it's so big and profound. I am who I am. I am self-existing. I am all-sufficient. I am God by myself. I am who I say that I am. And I am the one that I'm sending you, Moses. I am not who you think that I am. I am who I am. I am not who you say that I am necessarily. I am who I am. You see, you know, I've, I've heard people, I mean, particularly here, true life story, said to me, me, my God is who, how did she put it? My God is my God. I know my God. Sleeping with somebody else's husband. I say, you have to stop it too, madam, because you don't know the prayer the wife is praying. You know, some people are just putting their lives in danger. You see somebody else's husband. You don't know the prayer the wife is praying. You use your head and carry. She says, oh, you know, my God. I can still pray to my God. My God is not angry with me. The truth is, God is not who you think he is. He is who he is. Is who he is. Is I am. I am. That's what it says. I am the I am the person. Is how you think about God. That is who God is to you. It's whatever you think about God. I say sorry. God says I am who I am. Not I am who you think. I am who I am. And God knew that Moses was going to come with this question. And God was ready to answer this, this question. And it came. You see, interestingly, you know, God knows our heart before we even speak. So, the, the old scenario was built to answer that question. What was the scenario? The burning bush. The bush was on fire. God revealed himself with fire. But the intriguing thing is that the bush was not burning. But the fire was flaring. And Moses was like, the fire is flaring, but the bush is not consumed. And God is saying to us by that action, I don't need anything to stay alive. I am who I am. I'm who I am. I'm all sufficient. I don't need anything to... to Keep me alive. I don't need a foil. I don't need the source of this bush to keep me alive. I can be on the bush and not consume the bush. Why? Because my source is not the bush. I am the source. I am who I am. And that is big. It's big. It's big. It's big. It's big because when you understand that, it puts you at rest. When you understand that, it puts you at, at peace. It's all sufficient. Everything else on earth is dependent. Everything else. Human beings, we are dependent. We are dependent on oxygen. 
If you think you are not, close your nose and your mouth. Keep your eyes open. It will swing short. (laughs) We are dependent. Plants are dependent. Businesses are dependent on customers. Government is dependent on people. But God says I'm not dependent on anybody. I am woo. I I mean, that is so awesome. Totally awesome. And Jesus is God revealed. The express image of the invisible God. If you look at God in the mirror, who are you going to see? Jesus. And guess what? Some people love him. If you love Jesus, wave your hand. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Good, good, good. Some people love him. Some people hate him. But you see, it really doesn't matter because nobody can avoid him. The time is coming when everybody will bow to Jesus. Everybody will bow to Jesus. Whether you bow willingly now or you bow forcefully then, everybody will bow. Pastor, you mean everybody? Everybody. Everybody. Every knee will bow to him. I will bow. You will bow. My mother will bow. Your father will bow. Everybody, dead and alive, will bow. Felai will bow. Abacha will bow. Obama will bow. The Queen of England will bow. <laughs> Believe it or not, Yaradua will bow. Believe it or not, every knee will bow to Jesus. Isn't Jesus awesome? Let's, let's, just, let's just adore. Let's just adore the King of all creation. Totally awesome. It's now on the backdrop of how big and awesome and mighty God is. It will be easy for God to say, you will have no other God but me. And that's, that is credible. But interestingly, God did not say that on the backdrop of his power, of his might, of his awesomeness. If you check Exodus 20, the, the verse preceding verse 3, verse 2, it's interesting how God, the backdrop on which God said, you will have no other God but me. But me, in Exodus 20, verse 2, it says, I am the, what? The Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery, where you had no hope, where you had no future. Jesus died for you. He says, I am the one that came and rescued you. Then verse 3 says, you will have no other God but me. You are mine. That's the backdrop. Now, the picture that came to my mind is like, you know, you know these uh, cartoons? Well, some, mostly cartoons. When you have a princess that has been captured by one bad dragon, right? And is on, in a castle. Then you have a, a prince, a knight that comes and fights all the dragons, and kills all the dragons, right? 
Then they have just the, the princess is, is jazz, it's not magic, it's jazz. If jazz she, she's lifeless, and the prince kisses the princess, and the princess comes alive. Then the prince goes on his knees and says, I want you to be mine. What does the princess say? I am yours. What is happening here is a love story. You can clap alone, it's cool. God says, I am the one that rescued you from Egypt. From slavery. Nobody gave you a chance. You are mine. You will have no other God but me. When a Jew reads this, a Jew reads a love poem. The problem with us is that we are coming from a colonial mentality. Most Western cultures have colonized. We, have, we are struggling with a slave mindset. Why? Because if, if a kidnapper says to you, you are mine, the emotions that goes through you is different from when your lover says to you, you are mine. If a kidnapper says to somebody, you are mine, the person feels resentment, the person feels trapped, the person all, the person wants to do is to escape. Unfortunately, that is how we have related with God when we see the law, when we see the Ten Commandments. That's how we relate to God. Why? Because that's how we have been taught. And interestingly, even the people that are peddling the grace thing are, if you listen to them well, they are like prisoners that want to escape. Because they see it as confining. They see it as, as an, ent an entrapment. But, but when, you, when a lover says to someone, maybe your wife says to you, or your husband says to you, or imagine the day, I mean, how many people are married there? Let me see your hands up, let me see your hands up. Quickly, quickly, quickly. I'm married, oh, I'm married. Or oh, have been married before. Okay, good. Put down your hands. If you're not married, you know, you're going to get that feeling very soon. Jesus. <laughs> if you want to, that is, if you want to be a, a, an Enoch for Jesus, that's fine too. <laughs> when you stood at the altar, The summary of what happened at the altar, when you took your bride to the altar, Charlie, the summary of what happened there, you are saying, I want you to be mine. And she too, she said, but I do, I want you to be, to be mine. Remember getting married. <laughs> the sermon was long. That's why I, I made up my mind. I will not put somebody else through what I went through. <laughs> Weddings and gospel meetings are very short. One hour, we are done. And I was there. I had waited. That's when this man was getting inspiration. <laughs> I said, Pastor. Get to that point. 
So I looked my wife in the eye. I said, I want you to be mine. That's what I was saying. And he, he, what she heard was not the voice of a kidnapper. <laughs> what she heard was based on affection. And he prompted a response by saying, I am yours. Praise the name of the Lord. That's what is happening here in this story. God is saying, I'm the one that rescued you. I'm the one that loves you. I want you to be mine. What's your, what's your response going to be like? If you really don't understand this, you will be kicking against God. And you think, oh, God wants to kidnap you. <laughs> like many people do. And they think that grace has come to set them free. Not knowing that grace has actually come. To grace, and the fullness of grace is you are sold out to God. That's grace. And when you are sold out, you, you don't have your own life. That is grace. So, a kidnapper will say you are mine on the basis of power, but a lover will say you are mine on the basis of affection. You may submit to raw power, but you will never love raw power. Never love raw power. When a servant hears you are mine, do you know, it creates a totally different emotion, set of emotions, than when a child hears you are mine. When you say to your servant or your household, you are mine, or maybe you have a servant, you say you are mine, what goes in their mind is one day Bito will become madame, right? One day I will get my freedom, right? That is all. But if you say to your child, you are mine, your child will also say you are my mommy or you are my daddy. You are mine. The emotions and the responses are always different based on the relationship. A slave hears the commandment of the word as of a kidnapper. That's when you know you have a slave mentality. When, you, when God's commandments are like words of a kidnapper, you feel entrapped, you want to be free. But a child hears the commandment as the intimate talk of a loving father who loves him, has given everything for him, and will not withhold anything from him. Romans 8, 32. God will not withhold anything good from us. And that's how God wants us to respond to it. So the first commandment is all about love. All the commandments, the spirit of the commandments, the spirit of the law is love. It's about love. That is what it's about. It's about love and loyalty. So like any loving relationship, you have to think about him about God. You have to appreciate him, God. You have to honor him, God. You have to desire God. You have to trust him. You have to delight in him. You have to pursue him. They say that the proof of desire, desire is pursuit. If you desire your spouse, you pursue your spouse. If you desire your husband, you pursue your husband. If you desire your wife, you pursue your wife. The reason some people will just stay away from their spouse. It's simple. Desire has hit the rock. But God will renew it today in Jesus' name. How? When you begin to pursue the person and not just the passion. You know, unfortunately, we mix the passion with the person. 
We pursue. We don't know that the passion is a reward for seeking out the person. But we just want the passion. When you just want the passion, then you objectify your spouse. But when you want the person, you desire the person. You want to have a relationship with the person. You want to talk to the person. You want to be with the person. You just want to sit down with the person. You just want to, I mean, it is ah, unbelievable. For instance, you know, let's say, um, maybe doing something, playing game. Playing game. Maybe I'm just, I don't want to play game. 2 a.m. I'm playing game. Why if you just come and sit down there, doing nothing? She put her leg on my lap and I'm playing game. Go! I said, sorry, 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 sorry. I remember I used to work very late. <laughs> 1 a.m. 12.30 a.m. was my average closing time when I first started pastoring. So 1 a.m. I'm packing, I'm going. My wife we close from work, get to get home, bring food, bring a mat, spread it under my table. She's sleeping there. And I'm walking. Why? Because she just wants to hang out with me. Some woman say, you won't come home, Abi. I'm waiting for you in this house. <laughs> did, did I try? <laughs> You know, it will be stress. Ah. She will just bring her mat and put it down there. Then I know I have to close. I have to close on time. Then I will just shut it and they will, then maybe three hours after I will close. The point is this. When you pursue the person, the passion is effortless. But when you pursue the passion, it becomes elusive. After a while, the passion becomes tasteless. Because it's all about the passion. And when we gather to worship, we gather to worship because we want to cultivate our affection for God. We gather to worship because we want to cultivate our love, our enjoyment of God. We want to enjoy God. What will make one Christian go farther than the other is their enjoyment of God. What will make one Christian as if he does, is doing this work effortlessly? It's as if he's just effortless. And the other person is struggling, struggling. It's simple. One is enjoying God, the other is not enjoying God. So it's laborious. And the truth is that it is your enjoyment of God that will sustain your obedience to God. It is your enjoyment of God that will sustain your obedience to God. The obedience becomes effortless the commandment becomes easy. The yoke becomes light. Because you enjoy 
God. You know, I used to play soccer a lot, physically, now, not the gaming console. I used to play soccer a lot. I used to play every day. Then it became every other day. Then it became every week. Then it became every other week. <laughs> then it became every month. Right now, it's less than every other month. <laughs> Hardly play soccer as I used to. But back in the day, when I used to play soccer, you know, we go out and we, we go to the field to play and it starts to rain. You would think we would pack our bags and go. No. In fact, enjoyment has just started. We call it rainbow. You have people that play rainbow here. Ah, so I'm not the only one. Awesome. And it's the, it's the sweetest one. Rainbow. Because the sliding tackle. You know, everybody's in the mud. Everybody. I mean, it's but you are enjoying. Enjoying it. You could say, oh, it's because you were young. No, it has nothing to do with age. On Friday, like I was sharing, I was playing golf with some great men. And guess what? It was raining. It rained on us. The sun came out. Not, I watched all of them. Not one person complained. Not one. Do you know why? One word. Enjoyment. Enjoyment. The reason you are struggling and you are complaining when it comes to the things of God is simple. You don't enjoy God. But I'm praying today that you will leave this place with your enjoyment of God going higher in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm praying that you will leave this place that your husband will not have to fight you before you pray. That your wife will not have to fight you before you pray. That you will enjoy God yourself. Praise the name of the Lord. So when we say like Jesus, we begin to see the Ten Commandments as a love poem. Not as a tyrannical statement. We begin to see the Ten Commandments. Because it's for our own good. You must not have any other God but me. You are mine. The statement of love. God is calling you to take the step of commitment because he is God and he is good. God is saying, you are mine because he wants to have an exclusive relationship with you. God says, I want us to be exclusive in this matter. You are mine. You know, let me close with the story of a young man that came to me and said, I'm, it's not an exact representation, but the moral is the same. I said, there's this lady that I'm interested in getting married to. I pay her bills, not that she really wants me to, but she wants me to, but not that she doesn't, can't afford it, that is, but I, I you know. You know, and I, I do so many things for her, but every time I, she says she loves me, but every time I say, let's take the next step, she would say, oh, I'm still thinking about it. And I just got an email for, of a ticket 
to Paris, and I'm, I'm going to pay for it anyway because I've, I paid for a ticket. So she travels. But, Pastor, what do you think? You think we should pray? I said, how long has this been going for? She said, about six to nine months. I said, run for your life. She doesn't love you so much. She's collecting something somewhere else. Uh... God is saying, I want to have an exclusive relationship with you. Are you saying, let me think about it. Are you saying, give me some more time. He says, I've paid the price for you. What, what is it going to be? Let's bow our hearts as we bow our heads. I want us to think about this. For some of us, we've made worry, anxiety with the God of our hearts. Why don't you talk to God even right now? Yet for some of us, we need to come to Jesus afresh. We need to say, Pastor, pray with me. I want to come to Jesus now I can see the love of God. I can see that God loves me. And you may be here, you're saying, Pastor, I used to be a child of God, but I went back. I used to relate to God as a servant, but I can see that I'm a child. I want to be a child of God. How to relate out of love. Can you pray with me? Yes, I want to pray with you. Should I come forward? No, you don't have to come forward. Wherever you are seated, pray with me. Pastor, that is me. Put up your hand now over your head. Quickly. God bless you. My prop hand, prop your hand well. God bless you. Over there. God bless you. Over there. My sister, God bless you. Keep it over your head. God bless you, my brother, over there. God bless you, over there. Keep the hands up. God bless you, my brother, over there. Keep the hands up. Right there. God bless you. Keep the hands up. My sister, God bless you, right there. Keep the hands up. My sister, God bless you, over there. That is me. I want to be a child of God. I can see it is, God bless you, sir. God bless you, my brother. I can see it's out of love. I want to respond to the love of God. This is me. God bless you right there at the back. God bless you. Keep the hands up. God bless you right there at the, at the corner. God bless you. Keep the hands up. That is me. Oh, Father, we thank you. We honor you. We adore you. We give you worship. We give you praise. We give you adorations. Anybody else? That is me. Pastor, pray with me. Put an arm up over your head. God bless you, sir. Right there. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anybody else? That is me. God bless you, my sister, right there. God bless you. Keep your hands up. If you have a card, you can put on your hand. You can put on your hand and cry to God. Say, I come to you, Lord, on the basis of love. Oh, I used to see you as a tyrant. I used to see you as a kidnapper. But I see you as a lover today. I come to you, Lord. Anybody else? Pray with me, Pastor. Put up that hand quickly and we'll pray together. That is me. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for drawing your people to yourself. The rest of us, let's just talk to God. Let's just talk to God. Father in heaven, we pray for everyone. Everyone that is in this place, that is surrendering to you, we ask. Thank you because you are the one that draws us. We pray as you have drawn them, keep them. Every one of us that has other things as God's worry, anxiety, depression, Lord, let them be dethroned today, oh God. Take your place, oh God. Oh, take your place, my Father. Oh, Lord, we give you praise. Honor and glory we give unto you, Lord. Draw me close to you. Let's sing it from our heart. Never let 
Intensify. Say amen now. Come on. That our enjoyment of you will intensify, Father. And your name will be glorified. Honor and glory will be given to you. In Jesus' mighty name.